So this is our fourth week in Advent. And during this Advent season, our series, Christmas in Focus. And by the way, somebody uh, this past week said, I just saw it. I just got it. The mass is sort of blurry, but the Christ is in focus. Did anybody not catch that? If you didn't catch it, catch it now. That's been the whole thing. We, of course, have been seeking to put Christ back in the center, back as the focal point of our celebration of Christmas. And again, I don't want to come across heavy-handed. The gift giving, the parties, the food, the traveling, all of the hubbub, and it's fantastic. It's great. Wonderful memories, joyful occasions. But let them not supersede, again, what we all should be setting our hearts and minds and our lives towards. And that is, of course, the celebration of Jesus the Christ, the God-man, Emmanuel, with us. Over the past four weeks, then, we have taken this opportunity to allow our vision, our understanding, our comprehension of Jesus, the Christ, to grow, to embiggen. We talked about the other week. We're trying to embiggen our view by talking about how this baby born that we celebrate would be the promised prophet, the priest, and the king. And the past three weeks now, we've covered those. Let's just do a quick little recap so we know where we're standing. Remember that Jesus was, in a sense, uh, being predicted, uh, being foreshadowed. His ministry was um, being built up towards his being the word, the prophet made flesh. And we, I encouraged you to just allow the words of Jesus, the prophet, to wash over you this Advent season, to take time to still your soul, to quiet your life, and to hear his love declared over you. We talked about then Jesus the priest and how he wasn't just the priest, the great high priest, but he was also the sacrifice, the lamb of God. So live into this new understanding that the sacrifice of Jesus invites us to stand atoned for and righteous in him. That was really the whole push of our fall season and the study of the book of Ephesians, our union with Jesus Christ as the believer and our unity as the body of Christ all standing in him together. And then last week we talked about Jesus the king, the one who would be born in the line of David, the one who would rule uh, with justice and mercy, with might, with compassion, the ruler, the king we all long for, we all need. And so we celebrate Christ the king. Now, here's what is unique about this and what we're going to do today so that we might celebrate Christmas better. Let me say that again. So that we might celebrate fully what has been revealed to us on Christmas morning in the birth of Jesus, God incarnate, God with us. All of these roles come together in the one, the Messiah. Uh, the, 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 he could only be the Messiah if he held together all of these roles prophet, priest, and king, and more. Now, with that said, we're going to turn our attention for a moment here to some very famous Christmas words. The words from the prophet Isaiah, who talks about the one who would come, who would fulfill all of these promises of God. So again, I hope these are familiar to many, and if not, I pray they will become very familiar right here and right now. This is one of the beautiful stories that we read each and every Christmas from the prophet Isaiah, who declared, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You, you have enlarged the nation, 
and increase their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel in the fire. And now here's where we turn our attention. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of God for us. Well, quick survey here. Who's got a favorite Christmas movie? Whose favorite Christmas movie is A Christmas Story? Anybody love that one? No, nobody's going to claim that. How about Christmas Vacation? Anybody? Anybody willing to admit that? Uh, yeah, some people are like, oh, you want to. How about A Wonderful Life? It's A Wonderful Life. There's a classic. Some people like that one. How about Elf? Any, oh, I knew, I, I knew that one would be popular. Some Elf fans here in the house. What, what else is there? How about Christmas with the Cranks? I really like that one. That, oh, my wife is going to declare that's her favorite. So how about, what am I missing? I don't know. There's so many. Which one? That's a movie? Snowman? I don't even, I don't, the snowman, a snowman, the snowman. I don't know, post it online. We'll share, we'll have a party. Here's one that maybe you haven't thought of. Have you considered the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe from the Chronicles of Narnia? To me, that one's a classic. I remember when I was a senior in high school, I had to do a final English composition paper, and we got the list of approved books and writers, uh, and the guy and what I wanted to study didn't appear on the list. So I went to my teacher, and I asked for a special dispensation of grace to be bestowed upon me, and I said, I would really like to do my paper on C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. And he actually thought that was a great movie. C.S. Lewis, we know, lived through two world wars and really came of age then and into his own during the Second World War. C.S. Lewis was then no stranger to the atrocities, to the evils, to the horrific things that can be done by man to men and women. Which is kind of a shame because he truly had this poet's heart. <laughs> For a poet to live up in such a time mired and stuck in war would be a truly painful experience, but a painful experience for all. We know that during the course of his life, it was actually through witnessing some of that suffering and that evil and trying to make sense of pain in the world that Lewis actually came to faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. Along that course then, he set out to write a, a series of children's books that became the Chronicles of of Narnia. And within the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis was able to capture the zeitgeist, the feeling, this moment, this time, so aptly while people were still in the throes of, the world, of world War II. And he transposed that into the world of Narnia. And I think he did it so beautifully with these 
five words. He declared over the land of Narnia. Actually, it was, if, I, if my memory recalls, it was Mr. Tumnus the Fawn speaking to Lucy. She came through the wardrobe and is discovered this land stuck in an eternal winter. And he declared, it is always winter, but never Christmas. How about that? Always winter, but never Christmas. Think with me for a moment on what that world would be like. Always winter, but never Christmas. Of course, we have to take away all the Christmas lights and all the Christmas trees. We have to take away all the fruitcake, all the figgy pudding, all of the sugar plums. Does anybody know what sugar plums are? I don't know what a sugar plum is or figgy pudding. I never have any of that. Maybe getting rid of some of that stuff wouldn't be so bad. But get rid of all the fun, all the festivities, all those trees and lights and Christmas movies and holiday specials. But go deeper. Get rid of every church on every corner and every community on every continent showing forth the light of Jesus Christ, a place of refuge, a house of worship, a house of prayer, a gathering place for the people of God and to welcome all of the community. They're all gone. But go deeper still to that world where it would be always winter, but no Christmas. With no Christmas, with no Christ, it means no scientific advances done in the name of Christ by people who knew that because God created order out of chaos, but because God welcomed our understanding and reflection upon his creation, that so many of our advances were made in our world. Take away all of the hospitals that were built in the name of Jesus, the great healer, all of those acts of kindness and mercy, of goodness, of charity, of love done to bring healing and restoration to the bodies that Jesus blessed when he himself became incarnate at Christmas. Take away all of the schools dedicated to teaching literacy so that people could take the word of God and to know it for themselves. Take away all of those orphanages dedicated to caring for children without a family so that they could be welcomed into the family of God. Take away all of those respite homes and care places to care for the widows and the infirmed and the poor and the needy. Take all of that away and you're left, of course, in a world where it is always winter, but never Christmas. You see, that is the world into which Isaiah the prophet whose words we just read, that is the world into which Isaiah was born. Isaiah was born into a world that was always winter, but they didn't even know when Christmas was coming. Isaiah was born some 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And he was born into the winter of the experience of the people of God. For the people of God had been on a long journey. God professed, of course, we know to a man named Abram that from him would come a nation and from that nation would come a blessing and from that blessing would come our salvation. And so it seemed that winter was turning to spring into summer and God was faithful to his promise and the people of God. And yet over the course of the generations, we know that the people of God ended up in slavery, in captivity, in Egypt. It seemed that winter had set in again. But spring broke forth and summer began to shine as God promised deliverance and led them out of Egypt and was leading them towards the promised land. And things looked all up and to the right and the sun was going to shine again. But the people were disobedient and the people rebelled and the people did not honor God. And they're not loving one, a neighbor, one another and we're not welcoming strangers into the community of faith. And so the people again drifted 
And by the time Isaiah is born, the kingdom had already actually split and divided into two. King Tiglath-Pileser III of Assyria, who I like to always mention every time I can in a sermon. <laughs> King Tiglath-Pileser, the greatest evil name ever in the history of evil characters, came riding through from the west, reaping destruction everywhere that he went conquering lands and conquering nations. Judah actually made an unholy alliance through uh, King Ahaz and the people of God fell into captivity and were dispersed and actually put enslaved in the land of Babylon. Over the course of time, the Babylonians would fall to the Assyrians and the people would be held in captivity. And, and the time when we finally hear these words of Isaiah, it's still 200 more years until the people will begin their return to rebuild Jerusalem and the nation of God. Isaiah's life was stuck in that time that seemed always winter, but never Christmas. But Isaiah is the one who gives us, perhaps most succinctly, most clearly, most beautifully, this hope of the coming Christmas. This hope of the one who would be the Christ. And as through the power and the inspiration we know of the Holy Spirit, he, he reflected upon and gave these words of prophecy, these words of hope, these words of coming joy, these words of coming peace, these words of the love of God, so much wrapped into the words that he shares. And he speaks about a time when even the weapons of war will be destined for burning in the fire. Elsewhere we know how he will declare that the tools of war, the swords and the spears will be turned into tools of harvest of feeding, of nurturing, of caring for, of coming together and harvest and feast and celebration as the people of God. And he then turns his attention towards the one who would be given. He says, for us, to, for us a child is born. And then he says, a son is given. Just pause on that long enough to see where that was already pointing the story of God and what would come. For us, a son would be given. I think about giving away my son, giving away my daughter. I think about any parent giving away one of their own, of their flesh and blood, knowing what would happen, knowing what would come, knowing the suffering, knowing the sacrifice. For us, a son will be given. But then those words of promise declared to us, the government will be upon his shoulders. His kingdom will be forever. He will be a kingdom of peace. And how will this be? Because he will be, we know, the wonderful counselor, almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Hallelujah. Amen. The promise of Christmas, the promise of the one who would be the Messiah, the one who would bring together all that was being foreshadowed in the work of the prophets, bringing the word of God to the people, the one who would fulfill the work of the priests who represented the people before God, the one who would be the final eternal king, reigning and ruling with justice and righteousness, just as Isaiah declared, not just for a while, but forever and for all of creation, the Messiah would be the one who would bring all these themes, all of these roles, all of these elements for all that we need, for all that we long for in the birth of that baby born on Christmas morning. Turning our attention back to C.S. Lewis's The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. 
we know that if we read the story, or I encourage you to read the story. If you're, you're growing up, still read the story. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Or watch the movie. It's, it's a great movie. We know that the children enter into the land of Narnia through the wardrobe. But in Narnia, the pathway back to our world is marked by a lamppost. One lone lamppost standing there in the dead of winter, its light still dimly glowing. And yet as the children begin to enter into Narnia, that light begins to grow. As the children learn about this land stuck where it is always winter, but never Christmas, they begin to interact with Mr. Tumnus, the fawn, and all the other speaking animals. And the children come to the place where they find themselves visiting with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver in their little beaver dam, covered under the blanket of snow. And Mr. Beaver says this. They say... Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he has already landed. We know that in Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is the Christ figure, the prophet, the priest, the king, the coming Messiah. Aslan is the Christ figure. Christ figure. They say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he has already landed. And listen to this part now. This is great. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken the words, everyone felt quite different. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump on his inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize it is the beginning of the holidays. Friends, I want to declare for you this promise. We know that God is on the move and that Christ has landed. Amen. We know that God is on the move. And for us, Christ already landed in that manger in Bethlehem on the first Christmas morning. We know that God is on the move. And he landed in the womb of a virgin named Mary when the angel declared to her that the favor of God was upon her and would be upon all people. For to her would be the child who would be the Lamb of God, the coming Savior, Jesus, our Messiah, we know that God landed in that manger on Christmas morning because there was no, no room for him. And so God himself landed in that humble abode, in that scratchy pile of hay, under the most humble of circumstances. We know that God landed in flesh and in blood, that God became the God-man somehow mysteriously, the miracle we try to wrap our brains around but we can never fully do, that God was still God, fully God, because he had to be God, and yet God became man, fully human on our behalf so that he could become for us Messiah, Savior, Redeemer, how good to know that God has landed and Jesus landed and did ministry amongst the people whom he loved. He landed and touched the sick. He landed and gave sight to the blind. He landed and set the captives free. He landed and we know he eventually landed himself on Calvary's hill and on a cross where he would give his life for us. But hallelujah, when he landed in that grave, we know it was for only three days because resurrection happened and redemption has come to us through Jesus Christ, our risen, reigning, and returning Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. God is on the move. Christmas is our celebration that God has finally landed. And for us now, 
we pick up the mantle of that mission to begin shining that light of the promise of Christmas to a world where many are still stuck in an eternal winter. Let's just take a moment. I invite us as a people of God, and if you're here exploring faith or not sure you're at with this whole Jesus thing, we love you. We're so glad you're here. But I want to reflect for a moment kind of more deeply as the people of God to think about how our world, so many lives are still stuck in an eternal winter and without hope and without Jesus shining in their lives. We think about our world has been in the winter of this pandemic for so long now. And this pandemic has stolen and taken so much from so many. It robbed so many people of celebrations, robbed so many people of their own holidays, robbed so many of gatherings with family, robbed so many now even of their very lives. We know that the pandemic has robbed so many and put so many in a life of kind of this eternal winter without hope. Can we shine the love and the light of Jesus Christ the people whose lives have been so forever touched and changed by this pandemic. We know that this pandemic has brought an eternal winter of economic distress on so many. We know that people have lost jobs, lost hope, lost futures. People have had to move, people have transitioned, people still don't know where they're going to land in this winter of distress. Can we shine out for them mercy and charity, kindness and generosity? We know that we've been in this winter of political turmoil and division. We know now that families don't gather anymore because arguments ensue. We know that people are putting the things of this world, the things on this human plane, and not that they don't matter, not that being a Christian doesn't call us to care deeply and to consider uh, our position on these matters, but we've let them supersede what matters eternally, what matters most, the invitation that we have to be born again and have life in Jesus Christ, to call Jesus our Savior, to call, uh, brother, call one another brothers and sisters in the family of God, to allow all that would to divide us, to settle below that which would unite us, and that is Jesus Christ and being called to his purpose and his mission in this world. We know so many lives are still stuck in this winter of pandemic, of distress, of division, of discord, of hatred. Can we shine the light of Christmas into the lives of the people around us who need to know these simple things to which we are always called to remember? Can we shine the light of joy into their lives? Can we shine the light of hope? Can we shine the light of peace? Can we shine the light of love into the winter of so many lives? I love how Lewis talks about how when the children heard that name Aslan, something jumped inside of them. If I know kids, and I know kids, at the very mention of Christmas, something still jumps inside of them, right? Whenever they first hear that Christmas tune on the radio, when the first Christmas special comes on TV, when the tree goes up in the house or the room gets decorated, something jumps in the heart of a child. They are so excited and we know they're excited for all the gifts, for all the food, for all the goodies, for time off from school. And that's well, and that's good. And again, we celebrate that. But people of God, body of Christ, I wanna ask you to ponder what jumps in your soul when you hear that the Christ is on the move and that the Christ is real. 
And I want to propose to you to reflect on this in the coming week before we do celebrate finally his birth on Christmas Eve. I want to reflect upon what is jumping in you when you hear the name Wonderful Counselor. I hope something jumps in many of us when we hear that he can be for us our Wonderful Counselor. Because a lot of us need some wonder and a lot of us need some counsel in these dark times. Amen. I mean, to be full of wonder is to try and grasp something that is beyond comprehension. That's just dictionary definition. Wonderful, beyond comprehension, counselor. Perhaps this Christmas season, you are facing some things that are welling up a lot of anxiety and stress in you. Maybe there's that part of you that you're saying, I'm so excited to see family and loved ones. I'm so excited for these get together. Yet there's that part of you that knows there's gonna be some hard conversations. There may be some arguments. There may be some disagreements. There may be some ugliness that gets stirred up from the past. You can call upon the wonderful counselor. Call upon him to calm your soul. Call upon him to give you the counsel, to give you the words, give you the insights that you might need so that you might share not in hatred but in love with the people that you love. Call upon him as wonderful counselor to get you through this season. Maybe what you need is mighty God. Maybe you are feeling weak right now coming into this Christmas season and into this new year. Maybe you're feeling weak and at your wits end and you just need some mighty God in your life. Anybody need some mighty God? I feel like I need some mighty God in my life. Facing some things that I'm not quite sure how they're going to resolve. Dealing with some things that I'm not sure how they're going to be dealt with. A lot of unknowns in my life. A lot of unknowns in a lot of our lives, I'm sure. Maybe you just need that extra measure of almighty God giving you the strength, giving you the courage, giving you that spirit not of fear, but that spirit of God to come upon you and give you all that you stand in need of to do all that he's going to call you to do. Maybe you just need that prince of peace in your life. We know that the promise of peace in the Bible is the promise not just of the absence of war, but the coming and the fulfillment, the restoration of shalom. Shalom, remember, that wonderful word that encompasses so much. The bringing together of all that is wrong and setting it back to right in our world. The prince of peace, the prince of shalom. If you need some peace in your life, just call upon him. Because Jesus promised that he would give us a peace that passes or surpasses all understanding. Think about that again for a moment. It surpasses all understanding. It doesn't go around it. It doesn't deny it. It's not in ignorance of the reality of our world and situations that we face. It rises above it. Allow the Prince of Peace to help you rise above all those things that would create turmoil or discord in your soul. He is the wonderful counselor, almighty God, the Prince of Peace. He is the everlasting Father. There is a mystery revealed for us. What I love about this is so often we talk about the, this triune God revealed for us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we know that the three revealed to us are yet one in unity. He is Jesus Christ, the Son, and he is yet one with our everlasting Father. And he invites you to be one with him and to be a part of the family of God.
I'll invite Ken uh, and our team to come back up, and they're going to lead us in a little bit more worship. And as they do, I'm going to invite you to reflect upon Jesus, our Christ, the Messiah. As I said, we've covered a lot the past couple weeks. We've covered Jesus Christ, our prophet, Jesus Christ, our priest, Jesus Christ, the king, and now Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. And what I want to propose to you is that he is the one that brings all of these themes, all of these roles, all of these promises together. He is the Messiah because his life fulfills all that was predicted, the one who would be born of a virgin, born in the line of David, born in that manger in Bethlehem. He fulfills all that was predicted and told that the coming Messiah would fulfill. His life fulfilled all that was declared would happen in the life of the one even leading him to that cross on Calvary's hill where he would pay the price for our sins. He would take for us the death that we deserve. He would rise for us to give us the resurrection that we all need and the new life that we were all made for. His life pulls all of that together because he is, in fact, the Messiah. The witness of his life showed that he did all that the coming Messiah would do once whenever John the Baptist, his cousin, was in prison and facing his impending execution. He had that moment of doubt or questioning or whatever it was, but thank God he did. He just sent some of his disciples to say, are you really the one? And he said, look to the signs that you see. Is this not the year of the Lord's favor as the good news is going out to all who are lost and alone and in the dark? Is it not good news that the good news is being preached to the poor, that the captives are being set free, that sight is being given to the blind, that the hungry are being fed? His life fulfilled all of his promises of the coming Messiah. His life filled every prediction that would be given of the one who would come. And there are now billions and billions across time and in our world today who would give you personal testimony to the fact that they've not just experienced him as just as a figure of history and as an object for some study, but as their personal savior and Lord, the one who has come into their life and has been for them now the wonderful counsel that they needed, the everlasting father that they long for, the almighty God that they need, the prince of peace that they're longing for. And so I would invite you to take a few moments here now and reflect upon this invitation that we have in the coming celebration of Christmas and to simply call upon him for that area that you need him to reveal himself in your life. What jumps in your heart, what jumps in your soul, what stirs in your mind. The wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Let me pray for us, friends.